This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, March 19, 2023. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. In today's podcast, I'll talk about something called the common good. The common good has been a central theme in moral and political philosophy since ancient times, and it remains relevant in today's discussions concerning the role of state and the importance of public institutions and the ethical responsibilities of citizens. But first, you know, legislation shouldn't be for sale, but here we are. Those that raise the most money in their campaigns usually win their elections and off to Congress they go, making laws that serve their rich donors and leaving behind the people that voted for them. While there is hope, Move to Amend is behind a constitutional amendment that will put an end to corporate rule and the corrupting influence of big money in elections. For more information on how much our government has been corrupted by unrestricted campaign financing and what you can do about it, you can find Move to Amend online at movetoamend.org. As a principle, the common good refers to the well-being of all individuals within a community or society, and it serves as a guiding principle for social, political, and economic decision-making. I'll start off by discussing some of the philosophical underpinnings of what we call, quote, the common good, and explore its implications for various aspects of American society, such as public schools and roads and national parks and environmental protection. So let's start off by going all the way back to, oh, I don't know, 370 B.C., where Plato, who was a student of Socrates, explores the notion of common good. In his writing called The Republic, which is written in the form of a dialogue, Plato, through his teacher Socrates, argues that the ideal state is one that is governed by philosopher kings, who possess the knowledge and wisdom to pursue the common good. Plato believed that only those who understood the forms, that is, the eternal and unchanging truths, could discern what was genuinely good for society. Okay, so I want to pause here because, personally, I was never comfortable with the notion of someone making decisions for society based on the truths that he, and perhaps only he, understands. But let's roll with this explanation nevertheless because there is some good in this discussion. In the dialogue within the Republic, Socrates states, quote, We must infer that all things are produced more plentifully and easily and of much better quality when one man does one thing which is natural to him and does it at the right time. Okay, the notion of specialization and the pursuit of excellence in one's function promotes the well-being of the whole community, in other words. Going forward slightly, Aristotle, who was one of Plato's students, also contributed significantly to the discussion of the common good. He argued that the ultimate goal of human life is to achieve happiness, which he believed could only be realized in the context of a well-ordered society. He said that the common good is the ultimate end of political life, stating, quote, It is clear, then, that the best partnership in a state is the one of which operates through the middle people, and also that those states are likely to be well-administered, in which the middle element is large and stronger, if possible, than both the other elements. 
Now, if I didn't know any better, I'd say that Aristotle was arguing for a strong middle class. And this is generally in alignment with my own personal views that a strong middle class is what makes America great. When everyone's needs are being reasonably met, everyone just sort of gets along and the nation overall is strong. So anyways, going forward a couple of millennia, let's have a look at John Locke, who was an English philosopher and physician widely regarded as one of the most influential of Enlightenment thinkers and commonly known as the father of liberalism. In his writings on the social contract, John Locke emphasized the importance of the social contract in establishing a society that fosters the common good. Locke argued that individuals enter into a social contract with one another voluntarily surrendering some of their natural rights to a central authority in order to secure their remaining rights and promote the common good. He writes, quote, The great and chief end, therefore, of men's uniting into commonwealths and putting themselves under government is the preservation of their property. Now, I personally don't like the word surrender appearing in the same sentence as authority, but I get the point. The point being that we all make small sacrifices of ourselves in order to exist in a common society that looks after its citizens and protects them, and protects their loved ones and their property, from bandits or other nefarious forces that threaten them. It's a concept that applies just as easily to a small tribe of humans that cooperate to face the challenges of survival together as it does to large nations. Jean-Jacques Rousseau, another influential figure in modern philosophy, modern political philosophy that is, emphasized the role of the general will in promoting the common good. Rousseau said that a well-ordered society is one in which individuals freely submit to the general will, which represents the common interest of all citizens. He argued, quote, Each of us puts his person and all his power in common under the supreme direction of the general will, and, in our corporate capacity, we receive each member as an individual part of the whole. Now, in my opinion, this directly states that every member in a free society works for the common good, but also enjoys the fruits of the common good. Now, it's not Marxism because it's not extreme in its demands. In fact, the concept of personal liberty and freedom ran strong in all of the philosophers I quoted here. But there is recognition that there is a responsibility toward the common good because it serves all of us. So let's talk about examples in today's world where the common good serves us all. The concept of common good has profoundly influenced the American education system, particularly in the establishment of public schools. Horace Mann, who is known as the father of American public education, believed that education was the key to social progress and the common good. In his 12th annual report to the Massachusetts State Board of Education in 1848, he stated, quote, Education, then, beyond all other devices of human origin, is the great equalizer of the conditions of men, the balance wheel of social machinery. Incidentally, the education system put forth by the Massachusetts State, of, State Board of Education was the blueprint for today's public school system. So, public schools serve the common good by providing equal access to education, and fostering social mobility, and promoting democratic values. As philosopher John Dewey wrote in Democracy and Education, quote, A society which makes provision for participation in its good of all of its members on equal terms and in which secures the flexible readjustment of its institutions through interaction of the different forms of associated life is in so far democratic. 
As you may know, the word democracy figures prominently in my life. I've dedicated a lot of podcast episodes to it. Yes, we live in a democratic society that is realized through a system of representation. Some would call it a constitutional republic. But at its heart, we in the U.S., we live in a democratic system. As another example of common good, let's talk about roads and infrastructure. Now, the development of ma and maintenance of roads and other public infrastructure projects also serve the common good by facilitating commerce, transportation, and communication, which are all essential for a thriving community. The American Interstate Highway System, for example, was inspired by President Dwight Eisenhower's belief in the importance of a robust transportation network for national security, economic development, and overall societal well-being. As yet another example, let's talk about the national parks and environmental protection. The preservation of natural resources and the creation of national parks can be understood as serving the common good by ensuring that future generations can enjoy and benefit from America's natural beauty and ecological diversity. The establishment of the National Park Service in 1916 was an expression of the American commitment to preserving the nation's natural and cultural heritage for the enjoyment of all citizens. As President Theodore Roosevelt once said, quote, The nation behaves well if it treats the natural resources as assets which it must turn over to the next generation, increased and not impaired in value. Also, environmental protection policies such as the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act reflect the importance of safeguarding public health and the environment as part of the common good. Philosopher John Rawls argued that policies promoting the common good should ensure, quote, the preservation of the integrity of the natural order, including the preservation of animal and plant species in the balance of ecosystems. Okay, so the common good is good. But what about today's society? Yes, we live in a democratic system, but economically, we live in a capitalist system. Isn't capitalism at odds with the common good? Yes. In a capitalist society, the pursuit of profit and individual self-interest often comes into conflict with the common good. When corporatism, that is the influence of large corporations on government and society, when corporatism becomes dominant, it may lead to a disproportionate focus on profit-making and wealth accumulation, often at the expense of shared values, public institutions, and social well-being. In such a context, the forces of greed can act in opposition to the common good, undermining a free society's ability to sustain itself. Now, corporations may exert their influence in various different ways, such as lobbying for deregulation, tax breaks, and other policies that disproportionately benefit the wealthy, while eroding public services and social safety nets. This influence can contribute to growing income inequality, resulting in something called social stratification and a weakening of democratic institutions as the interests of the powerful few overshadow the needs of the many. So what are the consequences? The privatization of public services and institutions driven by the pursuit of profit and the belief in market efficiency has negative consequences for the common good. When public services such as schools and prisons and armies are privatized, the focus may shift from serving the public interest to generating profit for shareholders. This shift can lead to a variety of problems, including reduced access to essential services, diminished quality of services, and perhaps most tragically, the erosion of public trust. The privatization of public schools, for example, is taking place as I speak, 
It's happening through the proliferation of charter schools and voucher programs. The end result is educational inequality, which undermines the ideal of equal opportunity. When resources are diverted from public schools to support private and for-profit institutions, public schools suffer from reduced funding, leading to larger class sizes, outdated materials, and a decline in educational quality. Additionally, privatization may enable schools to selectively admit students based on factors such as test scores or socioeconomic status, leaving behind the most vulnerable populations in under-resourced public schools. Another example of capitalism undermining public good is in the privatization of prisons, which has raised serious ethical concerns as the profit motive can incentivize companies to cut costs at the expense of inmate welfare and rehabilitation. Private prison companies may skimp on basic necessities such as food or health care or staff training, leading to inhumane conditions and increased rates of recidivism. Perhaps most tragically, the private prison industry's reliance on incarceration for profit can contribute to the perpetuation of mass incarceration as it creates a vested interest in maintaining high levels of imprisonment rather than pursuing alternatives such as rehabilitation or community-based sentencing. As a final example of capitalism's attempt to undermine common good, the privatization of military forces through the use of private military contractors and mercenaries can undermine accountability, erode public trust in national defense, and contribute to human rights abuses. Unlike public military forces, private armies may operate with limited oversight and be driven by financial incentives rather than national interests or international law. This lack of accountability can lead to a higher incidence of misconduct, corruption, and abuse, as well as a diminished sense of civic responsibility and shared sacrifice in times of conflict. The bottom line here is that the concept of the common good serves as a fundamental guiding principle in shaping our understanding of a just and equitable society. Throughout history, philosophers have emphasized the importance of shared values, collective responsibility, and public institutions in promoting the well-being of all members of a community. However, the common good is continuously threatened by forces of individual and collective greed, particularly in the context of a capitalist society, where the pursuit of profit and self-interest often takes precedence over the needs of the many. When the influence of corporatism and the privatization of public services become dominant forces, they undermine the common good by exacerbating social inequalities, eroding democratic institutions, and compromising the quality and accessibility of essential services. These developments create a society in which the interests of the powerful few overshadow the needs of the many, jeopardizing the long-term sustainability of a free and equitable society. To counteract the corrosive effects of greed and preserve the common good, it's essential to strike a balance between individual freedom and collective responsibility. This requires a vigilant and engaged citizenry, as well as the development of public policies and institutions that prioritize the well-being of all members of society, rather than catering to the interests of a select few. By working together to uphold the principles of the common good, we can create a more just and inclusive society that fosters the flourishing of all of its members, now and for generations to come. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And whether or not you agree with my concerns, I hope I was able to make you think. I don't want agreement. I simply want to inspire your ability to think and then act upon your beliefs. 
You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions, or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org slash contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Ray Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead. We hope you'll tune in again next week.